Who remembers looking forward to the year 2000? <laughs> I remember when I was a little kid thinking, wow, I'll be like around 30. <laughs> wow, 2019. Who can believe we're still here? <laughs> yeah, at the start of a new year, it's always good, isn't it? It's always good to ask that question, what were my hopes and dreams for the past year and how did that year pan out? It's such a good exercise. I mean, take some time this week, take half an hour or, or so over a cup of coffee and just think about the last 12 months. What did you hope would happen and what actually happened? And as you do that, think about your walk with the Lord over the last 12 months. Did the Lord walk with you through the trials, the challenges of last year? Are you closer to him than you were a year ago? That's a tough question, isn't it? Am I more Christ-like? You know, in the brutal honesty that comes in the middle of the night when it's just you and Jesus, am I more Christ-like than I was a year ago? Have I grown as a follower of Jesus in the last 12 months? I wonder what this, this year will bring. I guess for many of you, you would not have anticipated 2018 being the year that it ultimately was for you. I, I guess for many of you, the journey through last year involved walking a path that you would not have chosen for yourself. I guess every year is like that. You just really don't know what's around the corner. You know, being a pastor for kind of the last 20 years, one thing I've really learnt is that you're only a doctor's visit away from the bad news. <laughs> Honestly, I have sat with so many people who've said, I just didn't see this coming. I just can't believe it. I've got this bit of a pain in my back and now they're telling me I'm riddled with cancer? I mean, you just don't know what's around the corner, do you? You really don't. As we, we look down the barrel of another year, I want us to think about the future and who it is who holds our future in his hand and what that means for us. See, every new year, we need to be reminded of this reality. Every year, every new year, we need to be called back to this truth. And today I'd like to share with you, I want to take you back to the story of Joseph. And I want to look particularly at some of the things that Joseph said on his deathbed. And I want us to consider this question, who is the Lord of your future? Who is the Lord of 2019? You see, I believe the story of Joseph gives us a really clear answer to that question. So let's open the Word of God to Genesis 37. In verse 1 there we read, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brother, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So Joseph's a young guy at this stage. He's only 17. That's what the text says, a young man of 17. He's out with his brothers. This may have been his first trip out with them. We don't know. But what seems pretty clear is that they were up to no good. They're out somewhere 
probably day's walk from dad. Joseph's with them. He's 17. He comes home. He comes home before the others. And in our vernacular, we might say he dobbed to dad about the others. Verse 3. Now Israel, that's Jacob, dad, right? Loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So Joseph is undoubtedly dad's favourite. And it seems that Jacob isn't concerned about showing it either. I mean, he even gets this richly ornamental robe made for Joseph. He's, uh, in a sense, his position as the most loved son, is just kind of being rubbed in the faces of the other sons, day and night. The young Joseph didn't help things either. I mean, can you believe this guy? He has this dream. He has this dream about the whole family, all his brothers and sisters, even his parents are bowing down before him. And if that isn't bad enough, he tells them all about his dream. It's no wonder they're thinking, who does this guy think he is? To put it bluntly, Joseph seemed to be acting like a real jerk. Verse 12, now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before, before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a, a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now in the end, they decided not to kill him, but rather to sell him to a slave trader headed for Egypt. So when Joseph's just 17 years old, he was sold into the service of Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. Now Joseph was a gifted and intelligent young man and he excelled in everything that he did. He quickly rose to prominence and was placed in charge of Potiphar's whole household. He was gifted, talented and good-looking. He had power and good looks, something that was just irresistible to the young wife of Potiphar. She wanted him badly. She tried everything to seduce Joseph, but nothing worked. See, Joseph may well have acted like a jerk with his older brothers, but one thing appears to be true. Joseph trusted God, and he was determined to honour God with his behaviour. Have a look at what he said to the young woman trying to seduce him. This is Genesis 39, verse 9. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my, pa- my, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God. Now, Joseph knew that to sleep with Potiphar's wife would be just downright wrong. I mean, after everything he'd done for Joseph, to do such a thing would be very evil indeed. But I want you to notice 
that Joseph's main concern was in doing such a wicked thing and sinning against God. I mean, clearly, Joseph feared and worshipped the God of his father, grandfather and great-grandfather. Now, unfortunately for Joseph, this stand for godly morality resulted in the rejected young woman lying to her husband about what had happened. She said that Joseph had tried to rape her and, well, consequently, he was mercilessly tossed into prison. And for a number of years, that's where he stayed. But even there, he rose to prominence. We read in in verse 23 of chapter 39, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. If you read on yourself in the story, you'll find Joseph interpreting dreams for important people but then being forgotten and left to rot until eventually Pharaoh himself has a dream and he looks for somebody, someone who will interpret his dream. And Joseph, through the power of God, interprets Pharaoh's dream and as a result, he's placed in charge of the whole of Egypt. I mean, how is that for a roller coaster ride of God's blessing? I mean, it really is an extraordinary story, isn't it? How's that for God being the Lord of the future? God was going to bring about seven years of blessing and abundance before seven years of famine. And that's exactly what was revealed in Pharaoh's dream. So you have got time to go, to go through the whole story. If you don't know the story, it's another one of those great stories. It's another one of those stories you guys have just got to know. You've got to know the story of Joseph. You've got to read it. You'll find it there in, in Genesis. Anyway, the whole thing is that in the end, Joseph's brothers, they come down to Egypt because of the famine, and they come face to face with their brother Joseph. They don't know it's him, so there's a bit of intrigue there. And they return to their homeland and bring back their father Jacob, the whole family, all the animals, everything they own, and eventually they settle in Egypt. It's a great story of God's faithfulness. See, God shows us through the story of Joseph and the descendants of Jacob that he is the Lord of the future. Whatever your future holds, God is in control. Whatever your present circumstances, and I really want you to get this, whatever your present circumstances seem to indicate about your future, know that God is in control. See, maybe you're heading into the new year with a whole heap of concerns and uncertainties stretched out before you. You need to know this. You need to know this at the start of 2019. You need to rest in this. You need to rest in this, that God is the Lord of your individual future, not your present situation, not your present circumstances. The thing is, what we so often do is we allow our present circumstances to somehow become the counterfeit Lord of our future. Your future is not dictated by your present circumstances. We need to know this. We need to be reminded of this continually. Our enemy, Satan, he wants you to believe the very opposite. Maybe towards the end of 2018, you made some bad choices that have placed you in a tricky and difficult position. Maybe there's a a relationship that has been soured. And as a result of your choices, it seems as though the future of that relationship is bleak and broken 
beyond repair. Maybe over Christmas, this happens so often, doesn't it? You had a falling out, an argument with someone, maybe a family member, a close friend. You know, Christmas is when you just pack everyone together. Sometimes they just don't get on, but it's Christmas. (laughs) Maybe a close family member, close friend. And as a result, if you're really honest with yourself, things now just seem hopeless. That's how you're starting the new year. Oh, this relationship's gone from bad to worse. So your current situation can seem dreadful, but it is not the Lord of your future. We've got to hang on to this truth and remind one another of it regularly. So let's go back to Joseph. See, it seems, he seems to have been very aware of this, even as a, a 17-year-old youth sitting in the bottom of a pit waiting to die, then being falsely accused and thrown into prison, his relationship with his brothers apparently shattered beyond repair. Joseph doesn't appear to have given up on God. He knew God was with him. Even when things appeared desperate and hopeless, he, he knew that God was with him. And despite his circumstances, he continued to trust in him. And God was indeed faithful to Joseph. And he will be faithful to you as well. See, right at the end of his life, Joseph said these words to his brothers. These words, they are rich with significance for us today. In Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me. See, he's not glossing over it, is it? He's telling the truth. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In other words, no matter what you thought you were doing to me, no matter how horrible life you thought you were selling me into, no matter how horrible that was, no matter how desperate and hopeless it seemed at the time, God's hand was upon me. God's hand was upon the whole situation. And God was going to turn things around. See, Joseph was a man who knew that whatever lay before him, no matter how bleak it looked at the time, God was the Lord of his future. And God had it all under control. You know, so easy, isn't it? So easy to believe that our circumstances dictate our future. The truth is that God is the Lord of our individual futures. Now, I want you to notice something. Book of Genesis starts with, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. It's a wonderful start, isn't it, to the Bible? In the beginning, God created. And in the end, the last part of the book, it ends with one of the great heroes of faith, one of God's great men of faith, Joseph, lying dead in a coffin in a foreign land. See, on a surface level, we may be to think, well, where is God, creator of heaven and earth? Where is his power now? I mean, what do you mean God is the Lord of the future? Joseph is dead. But I want you to notice at the beginning of the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, right? It starts with the birth of Moses. Moses, the one through whom God would take the children of Israel home to the land promised them. See, Joseph knew 
that God would not abandon him or his bones to this foreign land, Egypt. He knew this, even though it must have appeared at that stage that neither Joseph nor any of his family would ever return home to Canaan. See, Joseph knew that even in death, there was a future. And that's why he said to the sons of Israel, have a look. This is right at the end of Genesis. Genesis 50 verse 24. He says, I'm about to die. He's not dreaming about living forever. He's naming it. He believes it. He says, I'm about to die. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath. To dad, to granddad, and to great-great-granddad. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin. See, the book of Genesis ends with Joseph, hero of faith, dead in a coffin, but still confident that God would not let him down. Joseph made his brothers swear an oath that when God took them home, as he surely would, they would take his bones with them. See, it seems he didn't really trust them even then, which I can kind of understand why. But have a look. In the, in the New Testament, it says in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, verse 22, but by faith, Joseph when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. It says, by faith, because it hadn't happened yet. But let me ask you, did it happen? Yes. Yes, it did happen. Have a look at Exodus 13. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath. Do you realise how long it was? Just think about this. Do you realise how long it was from when Joseph died and when they took the bones? 400 years. 400 years, roughly, had passed between the death of Joseph and the birth of Moses. Joshua 24, and Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Joseph had faith in the Lord. He knew that he wouldn't abandon him to Egypt. He knew that even in death, God was the Lord of his own personal future. The amazing thing is that, that Joseph had no idea just how awesome that future would ultimately be. In the New Testament, we discover something that Joseph knew nothing about as he lay on his bed 4,000 years ago. See, God's future, the land that we are taken to after death of this, the death of this body, is not just somewhere for our bones to lie. No, that the future that God has for those who love him is actually beyond what we can even imagine. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us. The future for those who love and trust God involves being constantly in his presence, constantly in the presence of the risen and exalted Son of God. 
and living in a world not tainted and stained by sin. Do you know what? What is true for Joseph is also true for you and me. Remember everything that is promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph was ultimately inherited by Jesus. And now, praise God, we who are in Christ are brought into that inheritance as well. How do you get an inheritance? Do you ever earn it? Never. You get an inheritance through relationship, don't you? That's how we come into inheritance, because we are in Christ. God is the Lord of your future, just as he was the Lord of Joseph's future. Now, maybe you're concerned about a a financial problem that you're facing, about your health, about an illness, a, a relationship problem, an issue with your children. Maybe you're concerned about facing the consequences of your own actions. You've done something wrong. Now you've got to live with the consequences of those actions. Can I just say to you this morning, relax, chill out. The Lord is in control of your future. I'm not saying it won't be a difficult journey. It was difficult. You actually think about what Joseph went through. It was difficult, but the Lord was with him. We need to have faith and trust God. And it doesn't mean that we should not be people who aren't actively seeking to improve ourselves or change our lot through hard work and effort. As you'll see, you read the whole story of Joseph, he always did that. But as we go, we must always be mindful. The Lord doesn't just go with us. He actually goes before us. The Psalms tell us that the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The Lord himself is watching us on the path, making sure that we won't stumble. He's behind us and before us and around beside us. He's preparing the way for us. Nothing comes as a shock to God. You know, when something terrible happens, when you go to the doctor and suddenly you get that bad news, for you it's a shock. Oh, I never saw this coming. It's never a shock for God. Ever. That's a good thing to rest in, isn't it? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who's the beginning and the end. He sees it all. Nothing comes as a shock. God knows what is around the corner. He's been preparing the way. You know, I often think for us, it's like we're walking in the dark and we've got this little light around us and we can see only that far ahead. But the beauty of this whole situation is that God sees it all. We've just got to hang on to Jesus because he sees it all. God knows what is around the corner. He's been preparing the way and he's actually going to use your circumstances no matter how bleak they are, to bless you and to make you more and more like Jesus. What do we read? For all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. See, whatever it is about our future that we're worried about, we've got to do our best in those circumstances, but we've got to also be prayerful and remember that God is in control. God is in control of our future. You know, secondly, the passage tells us that God is not only in control of our 
individual futures, but he's also the Lord of our collective future as a church, a group, a family, whatever. Have, have a look at verse 24. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid. Not just my aid, but your aid. And take you up out of this land. The land he promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. To the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of all those stories that our family has grown up with, the God that you trust, he will visit you. And he will take you from this land to the land he's promised you. And did the Lord God visit them? Yes. I mean, they underwent a trial. They walked a difficult path. 400 years of slavery. And the only way to think about that is collectively. You can't think about that individually because, my goodness, there are a lot of poor people who died wondering, where is God in this? Generations of people died saying, well, God didn't come, did he? Didn't come to our aid. You can only look at that collectively. But he did visit them. He did save them. Book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, begins with the birth of Moses. See, God is still in control. The promise we see at the last verse of Genesis is the beginning of the fulfilment at the start of Exodus with the birth of Moses. See, God was giving them a leader. He was giving them hope. He was going to take them up out of Egypt and he was going to give them a land of their own. God had their collective future under control. And God is the Lord of our collective futures as well. You know, as I prepared for this message, I, I reflected back on my own journey and time and time again, I recalled how God had gone ahead of me and how he prepared the way ahead. The doors that needed to be closed were closed and the doors that needed to be opened were opened ahead of me. And I thought about times when I was ministering at Lakes Baptist Church when time and time again, the Lord provided for us you know I could tell you so many stories but one that just kind of popped up was um you know on Sunday mornings we make a lot of noise don't we you guys don't you're very quiet but we tended to be a bit louder at lakes and in their wisdom some developer decided to build a block of units just a couple of meters from the back fence and so eventually we ended up with a noise abatement order from the Wyong Council, which basically just means if you don't shut up on Sunday morning, we're going to fine you $250,000. So it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we've got to deal with this. Like to soundproof the building was going to be an expensive thing, you know. And so we get in the mail two letters on this day. We open the first one and we're sitting there with the staff going, wow, this is going to be a big deal. We open the second letter and it's from a solicitor representing the estate of Albert Croft who was a foundation member of the church and Albert left us some money from his estate. Praise God at the end of that we did not take one dollar out of our budget to soundproof the church. God was in control. Yeah, it's got, it was about 120,000 bucks to soundproof the church. You know how much Albert left us? 120,000. <laughs> Praise God. So you get the first letter, you're stressing out the second one. Oh, well, 
I remember I went to council. I go to the meeting. I sit down, and there's three lawyers and two council guys there. And I, we start the meeting, and I just said, I just want to let you know we're going to fully comply. I'm just going to need some time. The three lawyers got up and walked out. They said, how long do you need? Oh, about six months. Okay, meeting's over. Praise God. Has the Lord been faithful to us in the past? That's what we've got to ask. Yes, he has. The same God who led Joseph through many, many challenges of his life, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, is the God of Paul and Matthew and James and Peter and John. You know, I could go around the room and I could ask you the same question. You could bear testimony to what the Lord has done walking ahead of you, guarding, protecting, guiding. And that's precisely what we must do. We must remind ourselves of the stories of God's faithfulness in the past. You see, the same God is our God. This is our God, the God whom we come here to worship and praise and serve week after week is the same God who walked and proved himself faithful through the generations of the past and walked with them. He was faithful to them and he will be faithful to us in the future. So why can we be so sure of that? Well, first of all, as I said, you look back at the past, look back at the story of Joseph, look back at the story of the Old Testament, you read all of that, look back at the stories of Christians throughout the ages since Jesus. Time and time again, we'll read about this. But, you know, there's something more. There's something we are given as an inheritance, but as a guarantee. You know, some years ago, I was trying to sell this car, and... um, this guy came and looked at it and he loved it. He really wanted to buy this. It was a Commodore Bellino. It was in really good nick, a couple of years old. He really wanted to buy it. He just said, Choppies, I haven't sold my car. I really want to buy it. Will you keep it for me? I've been down this path before, so you know what I said, don't you? Nah. <laughs> what about if I give you a deposit? <laughs> so I have to be a good deposit. I'll give you 500 bucks. Well, it probably wasn't as good as I should have got. But he gave me the 500 bucks. And it took him about three months, I think, to sell his car. You know, deep down, I had this feeling that he wasn't going to let the 500 bucks go. And he did eventually come back. He came back and he bought the car. You see, a deposit is given for a reason. It matters. It really does. And that's how we know How we know, you see, I know deep in here that God is the Lord of my future because of the deposit that I have living within me. See, Jesus paid this enormous price, a price that really is beyond our comprehension, to save me. And we can think about that. We can think about what Jesus paid for on the cross and kind of in our head we can say, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Jesus is so much, so valuable. He gave his life for me that there's no way that God is not going to save me. In a way, that's kind of like an intellectual thing. But what really makes the difference for me is that I know the difference in me from the Holy Spirit when I'm really honest with myself in the middle of the night. 
See, Paul says in Ephesians, says, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. See, I know that God will come through for me and for you because I know, like nobody else knows, the work the Holy Spirit has already done in me. I know that I didn't do that myself. And I know that only God could have brought about the changes in my life. That's why I know that God is the Lord of our future because of what he's already done in the past. And it's not just in my life. I've seen it in many, many people's lives. The changes that can only come about through the Holy Spirit moving in and gradually changing us day by day from the inside out so that we actually end up obeying the Ten Commandments because we want to. It would never occur to us to do the things that are there because God has actually changed the way we think and only he can do that and I know that. So let me just finish by saying whatever 2019, this coming year holds for you as an individual and for us together as God's people, we can rest in this truth that he is the Lord of the future. And thank God for that. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know all the, de- the details of what people are going through. I don't know the concerns that people here have. None of us do, but you know them all. You know all the details of our lives. And I just pray right now that by your Holy Spirit, you would be ministering to each one. And you would, you would help them, you would give them peace because of whatever they are facing. You are the Lord of their future. Lord, I pray that we would rest in that and that we commit to you now everything we do this year. May it be for your glory and honour. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.